Well, this is the second week of our series, Hope Where You Are. And as I said last week, if it sounds familiar to you, that slogan has been a part of our 2020 vision for years. Our goal here at Hope Community Church is we try to reach the triangle and change the world is to have a campus within every person in the triangle within 20 minutes by the year 2020. But this series has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with campuses, buildings, raising money. Aren't you glad? It has nothing to do with any of those things. This series is strictly about you and me, and my goal in this series is that every person who's a part of this church, maybe you're a member, maybe you're an attender, maybe you're just a looky-loo kicking the tires, deciding if you want to be a part of this mess or not, but my goal is that we would be open to asking questions like, God, I wonder what you could use me to do. I wonder what you you could use me to accomplish. I wonder who you could reach through me, God. If I made myself available to you, what could you do? through my life. And I just want you to know that when you come to the application of living out this series, the the goal of this series is maybe to get you involved serving somewhere at Hope Community Church, although that may be a part of the application for you. But when God begins to speak to you about, God, what do you want to use me to do? What do you want to use me to accomplish? Who do you want to use me to reach? It may mean leaving this church. It may mean leaving this city. It may mean leaving this country. Because when you put yourself out there and say, God, whatever you want me to do, just use me. You don't know where God is going to take you, but I will promise you this. It will be, it will be a journey you could have never dreamed. Years ago when we were living in the comfort of California, living in the beautiful house with a pool and pastoring, and God began to lay on my heart uh, coming here and, and starting Hope Community Church and realizing that as a family, it meant we were starting life all over again. And I remember calling my, my mentor, talking to my mentor, Lenny Moen, and uh, had all kinds of questions. What if, what if this happens? What about this? And he says, he says, Mike, he says, you're asking the wrong question. I said, well, Lenny, what question do I need to ask? And he says, you need to ask, God, what could you use me to do? What could you use me to accomplish? Who could you reach through me if I was 100% willing and available? That's the question that you have to be asking. For you, the application may be, maybe you're retired and you've just kind of thrown it into cruise control. And maybe what you'll get out of this series, okay, God, I still got a lot to offer. What do you, even at this stage of life, this season of life, God, what do you want to use me to do? What do you want to use me to accomplish? What is it that, who could you reach through me? And maybe you've never thought about that before. Maybe you've never dreamed that way before. But as we saw last weekend, those are important questions to ask because there's no greater thrill in life than when God uses you to somehow impact someone else's life. I have an email I want to read you. I got it on my birthday. And uh, I heard from a lot of you on my birthday. My phone blew up with emails and texts wishing me a happy 60th birthday. I was trying to forget it, actually, but thank you. And, uh, but I got one email particularly, and it, it literally brought tears to my eyes. It maybe it was my best, best birthday present, and I'll just read it to you. This is a young lady. She's a college student. I come from a very dysfunctional family. My dad died when I was seven years old of a cocaine overdose. My mom was addicted to pain pills. I have a twin sister who is my rock. We finished our high school careers with state records and national ranked times in track and field, and we committed to Indiana University. However, things changed quickly. Our grandparents were our caregivers and biggest supporters, But my grandmother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in August of 2014 and passed away eight weeks later. This led to depression and anxiety for the first time in my life and I continued to not understand how God would let this happen to me and my family after all I had already been through. 
I got injured for the first time shortly after that, continued to be in a toxic and emotionally abusing team atmosphere, and decided it was time for a much-needed change. That's when God placed amazing coaches at NC State in my life, which led to me being introduced to Hope Community Church. I left the state of Indiana for the first time ever, moved 11 hours from my twin sister to become independent for the first time in my life. This past February, I finished a long run in Raleigh, only discovered that I had many missed calls from my uncle. Once I called him, he let me know that my grandfather had passed away on February 27th from a heart attack. Besides my twin sister, I had lost the two most important people in my life in a span of one and a half years. Throughout all of this, I continued to struggle deeply with the grieving process and the pain of having to do life without them. I realized how much my faith had faded, and I felt something so touching when I attended Hope Community Church. I continued to leave week after week challenged to dig deeper into my faith. I considered myself a Christian since middle school, but had never really done much to discover and place Jesus first in my life. Your joy sermon, which I think was the last sermon I preached before I took my summer break. Your joy sermon was much needed and inspired me to continue to find faith in the God who brings purpose to our pain. So thank you. Thank you for inspiring me to dig deeper, to find joy and happiness through God's goodness, and remembering my faith through trials and struggles. I have finally realized that there's so much more to life than running around an oval And my worth is much more than the time I run or the place I get in a race. You inspire me to be the best person I can be. I continue to pray that you find happiness and joy through your current struggles. And then she said, happy birthday. (laughs) Right. And I, no, I haven't met her yet. When I emailed her and asked me if I could read her story this weekend, I said, please come up and introduce yourself. And I'm sure she will this weekend. But you know, that's what I, when, when you realize that God somehow used you to impact someone's life, and you know it wasn't you. You, you know that it was God just kind of working through you. I'm telling you, it doesn't get better than that. And that's the thrill that never goes away. That tingle never goes away. Now, last week, we talked about the criteria, uh, that God's criteria for greatness, what God is looking for if he's going to use a person. And, and we learned that that criteria is very different from the things we often think that God is looking for if he's going to use someone. In fact, last week we learned a very important truth. We, let me put it up on the screen. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Here was the verse. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. And I got to tell you, that is a key thought that has to get riveted into our minds if we are ever going to be used by God in ways like we never dreamed and never imagined. We have to understand that God doesn't evaluate us. His criteria for greatness, it's not the very same things that impress men. You see, men look at where we were born and where we went to school and what we know and what have we done with our lives and what boards have we set on. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But understand, those aren't the things that God looks at as he's determining our potential in his kingdom. And it's because God doesn't look at the things that people look at. However, if we're honest, we keep getting tripped up because we evaluate ourselves by the things that people look at. And based on that, we think there's no way that God could ever use me. So I think in our lives, we, we perfect several excuses as to why God could never use us. And I think we've all used these excuses maybe at one time or another. Let me just give you three that I think we've all hidden behind at one time or another. Here's the first one. God could never use me because I am, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from such a dysfunctional family background. 
Everybody ever feel like that? You know, my family's just so dysfunctional, it's gonna take me the rest of my life just to get my act together. I mean, it's not easy being a victim. So I don't have any leftover energy, leftover time. I don't have any leftover emotion to help anybody else. I'm a full-time job just trying to get myself straightened out. But what's interesting, if you read the Bible, coming from a dysfunctional family background doesn't seem to be a disqualifier when it comes to being used greatly by God. For example, let me give you a few. Solomon. Who was Solomon's mom? Bathsheba. Who was Bathsheba? She was the woman that had the adulterous affair with David. So Solomon was the result of an adulterous affair, and yet he overcame all of that to become, according to the Bible, the wisest man who ever lived. How about Joseph? Remember, Joseph was one of 12 brothers. He was the one with the special coat because daddy loved him more than he loved his brothers, right? And finally, one day, the 11 brothers were sick of Joseph and his special multicolored coat, and they were like, ah, you know? And so one day, Joseph came out to visit them while they were working in the fields because Joseph didn't do that. Joseph didn't get dirt under his fingernails. You know, he wasn't that kind of guy, right? And they're like, we've had it with him. And so they decide to sell him into slavery, take his coat of many colors, kill an animal, put blood all over it, go back to mom and dad and say, hey, we found Joseph's coat. We never found him. Obviously, he's dead. No, he's not. He's a slave over in Egypt. He became a servant in Potiphar's household. Mrs. Potiphar hit up on Joseph. He ran away and resisted her advances. She filed. He tried to assault me, ended up in prison. I mean, Joseph thinking, what in the world is going from bad to worse? However, through a series of circumstances, he becomes the prime minister of Egypt, the the second most powerful position in the most powerful country on the planet at that time. It's like it wasn't a big deal to God. Ever read the story of Ruth? Ruth was like the original bachelorette without the trashy morals of the show, okay? (laughs) And she falls in love with this rich guy named Boaz. It's a beautiful story. And I love what it says in Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife when he made love to her. That just still sounds funny reading that in the Bible, doesn't it? By the way, your kids should be in Kid City if that makes you uncomfortable. (laughs) When he made love to her, yeah, that's, that's actually the way they had babies in the Bible too, right? The Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Now here's the key thing. She gave birth to a son, his name was Obed. One of the great names in all the Bible, Obed, O-B-E-D. Obed grew up and had a son named Jesse. See, we've been reading about Jesse. We now know that Jesse grew up and he had a son named David and we know that through David, came the Messiah. Through David's lineage came Jesus Christ. But let's go back to the story of Ruth and and Boaz. Do you know who Boaz's mom was? She was a woman named Rahab. You know her as Rahab the Rahab the hooker, Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute. She was the one who hid the Hebrew spies when they were spying out the land of Jericho before they took down the walls of Jericho. Rahab the harlot. See, when Christmas, she's in the lineage of Jesus through which the Messiah came. Are you, when Christmas rolls around, understand, ho, ho, ho did not come from Santa, okay? <laughs> Rahab was the original ho, ho, ho. And, and here she is. She is in the family tree of Jesus. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Hey, there's another guy, you can read this on your own, a guy named Judah, who had sex with his daughter-in-law. He's in the lineage, he's in the family tree of Jesus. You cannot make this stuff up. It's it's almost as if God was making a statement. I don't care, this stuff isn't a big deal to me. How dysfunctional your family background is. Yeah, there'll probably be some consequences and maybe some circumstances that you're gonna have to work around. 
But understand, I can still use you. You're not disqualified because you come from a dysfunctional family background. Here's excuse number two. God can't use me because I'm just not smart enough. Well, just so you know, the Bible isn't about the smartest people who've ever lived. Don't get me wrong. Some of the people in the Bible are brilliant. Some of them are average. Some of them are actually below average. In fact, the thing that amazed the world about the disciples was that for the most part, they were just pretty much ignorant and uneducated men. Maybe you had the idea that when Jesus was putting together his aid team, the 12 disciples, he went around Judea and visited the synagogues and the seminaries and, and picked out the cream of the crop. That, that's not the case. That's not what he did. He took ordinary garden variety men with a basic knowledge of life, people just like you and me, and they were the ones he called and they were the ones that he used. My point is your intellect or your lack of intellect isn't a big deal to God. That, that, that's not a qualifier for being used to do great things by God. Sure, you may not be able to get in Duke and you'll have to settle for Carolina if you're not very smart. You know what I'm saying? You may never get to captain a nuclear sub, but understand, it's not criteria for greatness in the kingdom of God. Excuse number three, and this is the big one. God can't use me because of my past. Mike, if people knew my past, they would never take me seriously. Well, there's just... One thing you need to know this weekend, there's one thing that every person, every person that's ever been used by God, there's one thing we all have in common. Do you know what it is? God only uses sinners. That's the only kind of person he's ever used. That's the only kind of person he ever will use. That means if you're a sinner this weekend, you're in. See, if you are a sinner, you are exactly what God is looking for. I mean, just read through the Bible. Think about the people that, that, that Jesus called, that he used. Think about Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector who, who kept stealing money from poor people so he could live a lavish lifestyle. And God led him write a book of the Bible, Matthew. Some of you even name your sons after him, right? Not a big deal to God, not a hang up with God. How about David? Yeah, David and Bathsheba. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. If it's not, it's not bad enough that he committed adultery, he decides, I'll have her husband killed, and I'll take her as my wife. We'll cover the whole thing up. Nobody will ever know. So not only does he commit adultery, he murders someone. I mean, he's like guilty of two of the big ten that God said don't do, right? But we know that God used him greatly. We know that David wrote at least 73 of the 150 Psalms that we have in the Bible. And guess what? You name your son after him too. What about the Apostle Paul? You think you've been bad? Just read the book of Acts. What you'll discover is that Paul, before he became a Christian, he went around burning down churches and arresting Christians. And then he would hold their coats while they were being stoned to death. And then God comes around and says, hey, listen, I'm looking for somebody to write half the New Testament. Interested? And you know at that point, the angels in heaven are going, whoa, 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 God, no, not him. You know, because he's running a million miles an hour in the opposite direction. But God says, hey, that's, that's not a big deal to me. You just watch. Just sit back and watch what me and Paul do together. Moses was a murderer before he became a deliverer. Peter denied that he knew Jesus three times when Jesus needed him the most. And within about a few weeks, he's standing in the streets of Jerusalem preaching the gospel, the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. It tells us in Acts chapter 2 that that day, 3,000 people decided to follow Jesus. And that was the beginning of the Christian church as we know it today. And yet you hear all of those things and some of you are sitting here right now listening to me and you're afraid to say, God, how could you use me because you're still hanging on to your past? This is what I want you to hear this weekend. Your past is not a deal breaker for God. In fact, your past may be the very tool that God uses to impact all kinds of people in your life. My point is, is what we think is so important to God if God is going to use us, isn't that important to God? 
The things that we often think are deal breakers, if God is going to use it, they're not deal breakers for God. Now, if you were here last week, we saw that the first thing that God is looking for in an individual who wants to be used by him is we just have to have a simple willingness to love and serve people the way Jesus loved and served people. We just need to have a willing heart. We're going to see a second characteristic this week. It also comes from 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you would like to turn there. If not, we'll put the the verses up on the screen. If you've never downloaded the Get Hope app on your phone, you can do that. All the verses are there, all the main points, they're right there on your phone already. Just go to the message and click on it. But let me give you a little bit of background. Last week, we talked about the fact that Saul was the first king of Israel, but he made a lot of mistakes, a lot of boneheaded decisions. And finally, God got to the point, he's like, you cannot be the king anymore. And so God tells the prophet Samuel, I want you to go down to the city of Bethlehem, and there you're going to go to the house of David. He's got a bunch of boys. I want you to line them up in the yard. They're going to pass before you. As they pass by you, I'm going to tell you which one of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king of Israel. We'll pick it up again in verse 6. We'll review from last week. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. I've rejected him as the king. Now here's the principle. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, our potential for greatness, our potential for usefulness in the kingdom of God is determined by our hearts. And last week we saw the first thing that God's looking for, he's looking for a willing heart, but he's also looking, we're going to see this weekend, he's looking for a pure heart. I want you to see something that David wrote in Psalm chapter 24, verse 3. He wrote, who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And then he defines a pure heart for us. One who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. Well, what does that mean? If that's the definition for a pure heart, what does that mean? What is a pure heart? Well, Let me just say this. It's not a perfect heart. It's not a sinless heart. It's not a person who gets it right all the time. It's not a person who always knows the right thing to say or always knows the right thing to do. I think we would all be out of luck. But to have a pure heart means that you have an unmixed heart. In fact, a person with a pure heart is a person who's allowed their heart to be brought into alignment with the heart of God. In other words, your objective, your agenda, your passion, your purpose for life lines up with God's agenda, God's passion, God's purpose, God's objective for your life. If you have a pure heart, it's an attitude that says, God, if you can use me, go for it because I'm much more interested, God, in your will and your plan for my life than I am for my own plan and my own will for my life. That is an unmixed heart. And when God spots someone with an with an unmixed heart, a pure heart. This is what God's thinking. I can use that person. In fact, you can see this in 1 Samuel chapter 13. When Saul found out that he wasn't going to be king anymore, he found out because Samuel the prophet went and told him, hey, you're done. God is finished with you as the king. By the way, it's interesting. If you, if you read the story of Saul, do you know what his problem was? We would never think of it as a problem in our society. Do you know what his problem was? His problem was that he was incredibly gifted to be a king. He had the smarts, he had the looks, he was tall, dark, and handsome. He had incredible leadership skills. He had everything you could possibly need to be a great king. 
The problem is because he had all of those things, he wasn't very humble. And he found himself depending on his gifts and his talents and his position as king instead of depending on God. And even though he had everything he needed to be a great king, we would say humanly speaking, he just blew it time and time again. So finally, God said to Saul, that's it. You can't be king anymore. In fact, you can read about it, 1 Samuel 13, uh, beginning in verse 13. Samuel, the prophet, he's speaking to Saul on behalf of God. He says this, you have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. In other words, he made another bad decision. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. You would have been good to go, Saul, but you blew it. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Let me read that again. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and he's appointed him ruler of his people. You see, when God looks for someone to impact people, to lead, to influence his people, he's simply looking for someone who has a heart after his heart. That's what a pure heart is. It is a heart that is in alignment with the heart of God. It has nothing to do with your talent. It has nothing to do with your ability. It has nothing to do with your looks or it has nothing to do with your education. God is just simply looking for individuals who have a heart like his. He's looking for someone who's aligned their objectives and their agenda with his objectives and with his agenda. And the problem with Saul was that, man, he had a lot of talent. We would say from a human perspective, he had it all going on. But you know what the problem was? He didn't have a heart after God's heart. He didn't have a pure heart. He didn't have an unmixed heart. And what's interesting is here we are thousands of years later, God has still not changed his criteria for greatness and usefulness in his kingdom. He is still looking for men. He's still looking for women. He's still looking for students who have a heart after his heart. And regardless of what you have, and you may have a lot, or you may have very little, and regardless of what you know, and you may know a lot, or you may know very little, those kinds of things, they're not God's number one concern. God is simply looking for men and women and students whose hearts are in alignment with his heart, who are just willing to say, God, here I am, whatever you need, however you want to use me, whenever you want to use me, I am in it for you, God, just use me. In fact, let me summarize it this way. It's not about being capable. It's about being available. I mean, when you think about it, by God's criteria, we're pretty much all capable, right? The problem is, I'm not sure we're all available. And I think the struggle we have, especially in the culture we live in, especially here in America, you know, where we want to live heaven now, experience heaven now, we've, been, we've bought into the American dream now. Well, the problem with that is that may not be God's plan for us. And so what happens is we have our own plan. We have our own agenda. We don't have a pure heart. See, we, we got one foot in the world because we want what we want. And then we got one foot in the kingdom of God because we want to make sure that we slip into heaven when we die. And we're torn. We don't have an unmixed heart. We have a, we have a mixed heart. We don't have a pure heart. Do you know what a pure heart is? I saw the greatest example of it a couple of weeks ago. I came in one morning and I was coming in for a meeting and as I walked up the stairs to my office, 
there was a gentleman sitting outside the office and, and I said, uh, have you been helped? You know? And he says, yeah, I, I have an appointment at nine o'clock. And he looked up to me and he said, oh, I recognize you. He said, I, I've been watching you on the computer. I'm like, oh. And then he just started crying. And I'm like, because I told you, I'm a horrible counselor. I will make you jump. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a good counselor. But I grabbed him and I pulled him into the fireside room and I said, come on in. I said, listen, I got a, I got a meeting in a few minutes, but they can wait. What is going on? And he just, he just told me his story. He was from out of state, corporate lawyer, living the dream. His wife left him for another man with his daughters. They moved to North Carolina. He was in the other state by himself, miserable, relationship falling apart with his daughters, realized he needed to move here. So he walked away from his job here. He moved here, but he can't find a job here. And so he started watching me online and he just thought, I'll go to this church. Maybe they can help me. And, and he came and, and, you know, I didn't have to do a lot of counseling because he was actually going to meet with a real pastor, you know, and they could really help him after, after me. But I did pray with him and I tried to encourage him. And, and then when I finished praying, I said, so, so what can I do for you right now? And he said, I have got to find a job. He says, if you know any way that I could get some information or anyone that I could network with. And immediately I thought of a friend of mine. I have a friend who without a doubt is the most capable, gifted individual I have ever met in my life. He's one of those guys that went to college and then he went to business school at an Ivy League school. And while he was in the school, he started a software company that a few years later, him and his wife sold out for millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And relocated from California to here and invested in other businesses and started other businesses. And he sits on all kinds of boards. And he's just one of those guys. He is so busy. I don't, I mean, I, I just, every time I see him, I'm like, you're so, I've never seen anyone so busy who can accomplish as much as you can. He ought to be president of the United States, to be honest with you. We would have some hope. We would have some hope. <laughs> all of us deplorables, we would have some hope. But uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry it slipped out. Edit that. Edit that out of, oh, it's live stream. Hello, people. It's my medicine. It's my medicine. It's my medicine. Where was I? Oh. So anyway, I said, listen. I told the guy, I said, I'm going to give you my friend's phone number. And I'm going to get hold of him. And I'm going to let him know you're going to call him. And it'll probably take him a week or two. He could be anywhere in the world right now. It'll probably take him a week or two to get back to you, but he, he could probably help you with some connections, right? Some networking. So I go to my office, and I call my friend. Of course, he doesn't answer the phone for me. He's too busy. Why would he answer my phone calls, right? And, he, and so he went to voicemail, and I said, hey, I need you to do me a favor. This guy's going to call you. Here's his phone number. When it comes up, I hope you'll talk to him and see if in the next week or two, you could, even if you just talk to him for a few minutes on the phone, maybe give him some encouragement. And I hung up. Five minutes later, my phone it buzzes and I look at it. It's my friend texting me back. He said, he just called me having lunch with him today. Having lunch with him today. Now I tell you that to tell you this. As busy and capable as he is, he realizes that at the end of the day, what Christ has called us to do is not to build businesses. What he's ultimately called us to do is to love and serve people. Let me tell you something, young people. God does not call you into ministry. He calls you to love and serve people. God doesn't call us to build churches. He calls us to love and serve people. 
As Christians, God doesn't call us to make a lot of money, although in, uh, in the journey that we're on, he may allow us to do that. But ultimately, he's called us to love and serve people. He hasn't called us just to climb the corporate ladder, although he may allow us to do that because he knows we have the potential for influence. But you know what? Ultimately, he's called us to love and serve people. And it's because, as we said last time, the end is people, not an organization. The end is people, not a church. The end is people, not your business. People are a means to an end for God. People are not a means to an end for God. They are the end. So understand he's looking for men and women and students who are simply willing to be servants. And he says, here's your assignment. Here's how I want to use you. This is who I want to use you to reach and impact. But you got to understand, it's not about how capable you are. It's about how available you are. And I'm telling you, when God finds an available person with a pure heart, watch out. You don't have to ask him to use you. You don't have to beg him to use you. He will wear you out. And it will be the thrill of a lifetime. Many of you know Carl Morosky. And Carl has been a friend of mine here at Hope. Carl's been here for almost 18 years. And for 15 years, he led our worship here. He built our worship program here at Hope Community Church. And uh, i just give you a little background about Carl. He's probably the most talented person I've ever met in my life. And I didn't really realize that because he's very, very humble too until I had an opportunity. He's from Scranton, Pennsylvania. What a great place to be from, Scranton. Just sounds like a disease. You got to get a shot. I got, I got the Scranton. But anyway, again, medication. But anyway... Scranton. So we go to Scranton, and Carl and I are sleeping in the room he grew up in, two little twin beds. I mean, it looks like we're like Leave it the Beaver sleepover going on there, you know? And uh, the next morning, I'm talking to his mom uh, because t- Carl is one of the most talented musicians you will ever meet in your life. And she said, Well, it's interesting. She said, We bought a house, and the people that owned it before us, they left the upright piano because they didn't want to move it, it was too heavy. She says, so when Carl was about two, I was vacuuming one day. It was around Christmas. And I turned off the vacuum cleaner. And I knew that Carl and I were the only ones in the house. And I heard somebody playing Christmas carols. And I heard somebody playing jingles from TV. And she said, it freaked me out because I thought somebody else is in the house. And she discovered that it was Carl, two years old. At three, she took him to a piano store. And he was walking around playing the pianos. The the salesman says, where did he learn to play? She says, he's never had a lesson. So the, the salesman asked Carl to turn his back and play some classical music and Carl just turned around and repeated it and played exactly what he had played. At the age of six, he entered a contest for kids from six to 18, a nationwide contest. He won it as a six-year-old with a piece that he wrote and composed himself. Uh, I told Carl he was an idiot savant with the emphasis on the idiot. I mean, because like I said, we, we've had a lot of great time traveling the world together. I'll never forget one Saturday before the six o'clock service. He says, you won't see me afterwards because when we finish leading the, the music, the worship, I got to split. I said, where you got to go? He says, you know, he said, well, Pavarotti's singing at the PNC arena tonight and I'm playing for him. A lot of people don't know that about Carl, okay? That's his talent level. In 1984, Carl played in the opening ceremony of the Olympics in Los Angeles, the piano. That's Carl, okay? He built this music program. About three years ago, I began to understand that we'd had a good ride where we, had, where we had been as a worship. But you know what? If we didn't make some changes, we were going to stop attracting the next generation. And if we don't attract the next generation, it's just a matter of time. Our, our fate is sealed. And so I had to sit down with Carl, my best friend, and say, I think it's time. I think we got to make this transition. And I asked Carl to step down in that role 
And I'm going to be honest with you. I've worked with a lot of artists and worship leaders. And by the way, I'll tell you, they are drama queens for the most part. I'll just let you know. That's just our little secret, right? There are some high maintenance people. And if Carl would have been like the average artist, he was like, I'll take my piano and go home and I'll go somewhere else and I'll just show you, you know, right? His heart was here at Hope. He knew this is where God wanted him. And now he's a part of our care team. He's one of our care pastors. And one of the things I always loved about Carl, even when he was just working with music, was behind the scenes, he, was always, he always had the heart of a pastor. He was always involved in people's lives. And he wasn't the type that would tell you about it. I'd find out later on that him and Siobhan were involved with a couple here or an individual here. That's always been his heart. And now he's a part of our care team, one of our care pastors. And in the next few months, Carl's going to be launching an addiction and recovery ministry that the other day I heard the details for. It is not only going to impact this church in a significant way. And it's not just about drugs and alcohol. It's anything. It could be our children. Whatever is keeping us from reaching our full potential as a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe we just don't know how to parent our kids. Maybe we're, maybe we're codependent. Maybe we, maybe we enable people. But whatever it is, we can't seem to break that habit. That's what that ministry is going to deal with. And it's not just going to impact Hope Community Church. It's going to impact our community. It's going to impact the triangle. God is using Carl to do that. But let me tell you something. It's not because Carl is so educated although he's incredibly educated. It's not because Carl is so talented because without a doubt, he's got more talent in the pinky fingernail than I have in my whole body, right? It's not because Carl's so good looking and I think he is a good looking guy and I mean that in a strictly heterosexual way. I do, I mean that, right? But you know, what, you know, why, you know why God's gonna use Carl? He's available. That is the essence of a pure heart. It's the person who says, God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. And so I'm going to make all I have available to you. Now you may hear this this weekend and think, well, I'm just not sure I have a pure heart. I, I kind of do have one foot in the world and one foot in, in the kingdom. And I get that. I mean, let's be honest. It's, it's hard to say, God, I, I'm making all I am. I'm making all I have available to you. So maybe you're not there yet, but does that mean that you shouldn't be involved in loving and serving other people until you have a pure heart? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But I will tell you this, the purity of your heart will determine the potential, the impact, the influence, the power, the extent to which God is going to be able to use you. You see, God never says you got to be perfect before I can use you. He doesn't even say you got to have your act together before I can use you. What I've learned is this. As we make ourselves available to God, as we say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm available. And as God begins to use us, and as we begin that journey with him, he begins to change, and he begins to purify our hearts until eventually our motives and our purposes for life begin to line up with his motives and purposes for life. And so your takeaway this weekend should be, okay, God, here we go. I am taking that first step. I'm going to have a willing heart. I am going to be available. And God, as we walk down this road together, this is what I'm going to ask you to do, God. Purify my heart. God, as we go on this journey together, create in me an unmixed heart. Teach me to want what you want more than anything else in the world. Let me tell you, that is far more important to God than what you know. It's far more important to God than your experience or where you've been because man looks at the outward appearance, but God is looking for individuals who have a willing and pure and an unmixed heart. So again, I think the question we need to be asking ourselves is, God, what would you like to use me to accomplish? God, who would you like to use me to reach? 
Let me just encourage you, don't be afraid to ask that question. And don't worry about the how, see? Because you gotta understand, God already knows how to do whatever it is that needs to be done. You know what he's looking for? He's just looking for a who. See, our problem is we get hung up on the how. God is never hung up on the how. We're gonna talk about that in just a few weeks. We're gonna see it again in the life of David. God is just looking for the who to come along and be available. Listen, everything that has ever been accomplished of any significance, everything that has ever been accomplished for the kingdom of God started with an idea or maybe a burden in somebody's heart. And every time it was followed up by doubt and fear, but eventually it became a reality because somebody stepped out and said, even though I don't know how, I'm available. And God says, we're gonna do great things together because you have a pure heart. Let God worry about the how. That's the easy part. You worry about the who. Are you available? Here, one of my favorite verses. I'll close with it. Second Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That's a pure heart. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you just for the great reminder that because of your love and your grace and your kindness, all of us are qualified to do great things in your kingdom. But we have to have a willing heart and we have to have a pure heart, an unmixed heart, a heart that gets up every day and says, God, this is the career I'm in. This is what I have to do today. But Father, along the journey today, Make sure that my heart is a heart that's after your heart. Make sure whether it's in the corporate boardroom, the emergency room, taking out the trash, whatever it is, whatever it is, God, make sure that I look for those opportunities to love and serve people. And Father, every day when I get up before my feet hit the floor, remind me that it's not about how capable I am but how available I'm gonna to choose to be that day. We love you that you would even consider using us and we give you the credit now for anything you might do through us. In your name we pray, amen. 